This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. At Parent Footprint, our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we firmly believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. And in addition, this is critical... We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called The Importance of Sleep for Young People with Dr. Valerie Crabtree. And let me tell you about Dr. Valerie. She is the Chief of Psychosocial Services at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Tennessee. As a lead researcher on sleep and fatigue in children undergoing cancer treatment and brain tumor survivors, she believes and tells us that sleep is a major focus, which she highlights in her recent TEDx talk in Memphis on how early school start times are detrimental to the health of teenagers as well as those around them. She also suggests that teens aren't lazy, they're just sleepy. And we are going to explore the questions why today, and this is an interesting question she poses, why do we follow the CDC, or Center for Disease Control Guidelines, and the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, recommendations when it comes to vaccinations and washing our hands, but not their guidance when it comes to start school times. Dr. Crabtree earned her PhD and master's at the University of Southern Mississippi and her undergrad at Trinity University. Dr. Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We have a lot to talk about. So let's start with how you became a sleep expert. When I was finishing up my training in pediatric psychology, I had been working with um, children in the hospital who had a variety of illnesses, um, and I was really fascinated by this new area of study linking sleep and cognitive functioning in children. And back then, and this was around 2001, 2002, um, it was a very new finding that kids who were not sleeping well were actually having difficulty thinking and learning. And we were finally able to really identify what some of these linkages were. Um, And so I was really fascinated by that. So it was the idea of how could improving sleep improve learning and thought in kids that got me interested in the area of sleep. And since then, what I've learned, and I think we're learning more and more as a field, is that sleep actually affects everything about how children function as well as adults. And, you know, back then we didn't know that, but every day it seems like we're learning more and more about how critical healthy sleep is to wellness. 
And and I'm glad you pointed out um, the adult, you know, everything we hear, you know, we're talking about kids and parent footprint is about parents uh, leading by a healthy example. And, um, you know, equally, how many adults are um, under underslept as well? Absolutely. It, it's, it's truly an epidemic in terms of lack of sleep and the negative impact that it has on physical and mental health. Um, and I think historically... As a nation, the United States has really undervalued sleep, and I think that's been to our detriment. I was recently listening to a podcast that uh, Ariana Huffington uh, was on, and she had uh, was talking about sleep and also dispelling the notion for so long in her career, it was, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, that mentality, right. you know, we got to you know, work 20 hours in a day. And she had her awakening when she was so sleep deprived, she fell, you know, hit her head. And now her and many other, you know, leaders, influencers out there are really talking about the importance of sleep for everything, as you're saying. Yes, she has been a phenomenal ambassador for sleep health, I think. She she is really well-spoken about it and has her own personal experience as well as what a benefit it's been to her to really recognize how critical it is to get healthy sleep. So tell us why sleep has become is is become seen as one of the primary pillars of health and well-being. I think we had known for quite some time that healthy nutrition and physical activity make such a difference in our overall health and you know there's been a lot of attention paid to that um in society and in the public eye and I think only in the last probably 10 years or so have we recognized that um, not sleeping enough can make us overweight or obese. It affects heart health. Uh, We know that in adults, people who have worked night shift, for example, for much of their adult life are far more likely to develop cancer. And it's, it's teaching us that adequate sleep, healthy sleep, and sleeping at the right time really do have as much of an impact on our physical health as nutrition and exercise do. Um, And certainly when we think about teenagers in particular with the brain development that's going on, uh, we know that not having enough sleep or not sleeping at the right time has a significant impact on decision-making. And so when we think about teenagers who are driving, who are making decisions about using substances or having unprotected sex, when they aren't sleeping enough, that really does negatively impact how much risk they're willing to take. And some of those decisions that they're making at that age, as parents are monitoring a little bit less than they did when they were younger, can really have critical outcomes. So, you know, the the risk to a bad decision that a 17-year-old makes can be much higher than a bad decision that a four-year-old makes. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned cancer, and this is a big part of your research and a big part of St. Jude's. And I just want to, I read this stat um, that when St. Jude was founded over 50 years ago, I believe the success rate of curing cancer was approximately 20%, and now it's up to 80%. That's amazing. Correct. Yes, in childhood cancer, um, it's been incredible in the 57 years since St. Jude was founded. What amazing 
discoveries uh, have been made in terms of really being able to, to spare these children's lives. And so you mentioned the connection with um, adults working the night shift with an increased um, probability of getting cancer, and there's also a connection with childhood cancer? With childhood cancer, we have not evaluated enough to see how much lifestyle impacts the development of childhood cancer. We know in adults that lifestyle is a major driver in the development of many types of cancers. In children thus far, that has seemed to be less likely the case. And a lot of that is because kids haven't been alive long enough for their lifestyle to impact development of cancer. Uh, That said, there are some very intriguing findings in animal research looking at circadian rhythm or the sleep-wake cycle and the impact on tumor growth. And there are some beliefs that that probably explains the findings in adults who've had chronic night shift and seeing that higher rate of cancer development in night shift workers. And I think it's it's fascinating uh, when we think about is that something that could potentially be modifiable that we could do as a cancer prevention, that we don't have any evidence that any of that is the case for pediatric oncology. Um, but, it, you know, it certainly is an interesting thought. When I'm studying sleep and our patients with cancer, rather than focusing on potentially sleep as a modifiable factor in developing cancer, what we're looking at is symptoms related to cancer or cancer treatment. So in our um, patients who have had brain tumors, many times they may have chronic sleepiness or chronic fatigue for years and years after they have finished treatment for their cancer because of the areas of the brain that are affected by their tumors. So part of my research is looking at how significant are those those symptoms and are there interventions that we can deliver to improve quality of life in our patients who have been treated for brain tumors. And we also look at when, when children and teenagers are receiving cancer treatment, we tend to see pretty significant rates of fatigue. And are there some interventions that we can deliver to improve fatigue in those patients as well? So in the, in the pediatric world and looking at cancer, we're really looking at sleep and fatigue as a side effect. And are there ways that we can promote healthier sleep to help these kids have better quality of life, but is it possible that if we improve sleep, it does potentially improve their outcomes? And we have no answer to that question at all, but I think it's an exciting area to be investigating. For sure. As you highlight, sleep is connected to seemingly everything. Um, And I know you guys are working on getting that 80% to 100%, so uh, closing the gap. Yes, absolutely. Panning back. We've got all of these uh, departments and organizations who have all these guidelines based on lots of research. You know, I mentioned the um, the CDC, the AAP, and we have the APA, American Psychological Association. What's the you know what's the overall consensus on how much sleep teens and children need? And of course, this is key. So parents who are listening out there can say, we heard from the sleep expert, it's scientifically proven you guys need (laughs) this much sleep. Right. 
Well, its sleep needs actually vary by age. So when we think about infants and toddlers, they need oftentimes 12 or even up to 18 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. So in babies and toddlers, some of that's going to happen at night and some of that is going to happen during the day. Um, When we move up to more of the preschool age, we still expect that preschoolers need at least 12 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period, some up to 14 hours, and they really should still have an afternoon nap. Sometimes that's a challenge when kids get to be around two and they start asserting some independence. Uh, They can try to balk at their nap, and sometimes parents believe that means they're ready to give up their nap, and most kids really are not ready to give up naps until they're at least four or five. Um, In the elementary school age, kids need typically around 10 hours of sleep, some, some a little less, some a little more, and that should generally be happening at night. So we do tend to see naps drop off once kids are around first grade, but it can be a challenge for our kindergartners because many schools don't provide a nap opportunity, but kids at that age still need them. So we can have some grumpy kindergartners coming home at the end of the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then once kids get to be teenagers, they actually need more sleep than most people think. And teenagers generally need between eight and 10 hours of sleep per night. And eight hours is really the bare minimum. So I have a colleague who likes to say that's like making a C on a test. (laughs) So (laughs) you might prefer to make an A or B um, that, you know, that eight hours really is bare minimum. Most teenagers need more in the range of about nine hours per night. Mm Mm-hmm. Nine hours. All right, parents, you heard it for your teenagers who tell you <laughs> they do not need sleep. Um, okay, but let, actually, let's just keep moving on because we're almost there for all of us, us, us adults. So what is the consensus for adulthood? So most adults need between seven and nine hours, and you generally hear approximately eight, and there's always going to be individual variability. Some people need a little bit less. Some people need a little bit more. It is the exceedingly rare person who only requires four or five hours of sleep per night. There are far more people who think that's all they need (laughs) than there are people who truly only need that much. Right. So there, so there's these hours, and and then there is circadian rhythm, and when we're now going more towards teens now, who um, it seems from my reading and experience that life is not necessarily set up for teens, teens circadian rhythms, and they're telling us this over and over and over about not liking to get up so early and being very crabby and then wanting to stay up a lot later than we want them to. Yes. And you're right. Our society is really not built around a teenage circadian rhythm. And we know that with the onset of puberty, there is just a natural delay in when teens need to fall asleep and when they need to wake up. And this is absolutely driven by biology. So we see a delay in the onset of melatonin, which is the sleep-promoting hormone that, that is circulated in our brains. Uh, that happens much later after puberty than it did prior to puberty. Um, It happens much later than it does once 
teenagers enter early adulthood, that melatonin shifts back a little bit earlier. Uh, We see that melatonin still circulating in the brain in the early morning hours when many schools are already in session. They haven't even cleared that sleep-promoting hormone from their brains. Um, And we also know that teens develop sleep pressure at a slower rate than younger children do. So they are driven to stay up later. And that sleep pressure means the more time we've spent awake, the more likely we are to go to sleep. So in a young child, that sleep pressure builds very quickly, which is why they need afternoon naps, because they just cannot stay awake until bedtime. And then through the elementary school years, the sleep pressure doesn't build quite as quickly as it did when they were preschoolers, but it still drives them generally by 8 o'clock, 8.30, those kids need to go to sleep. In a teenager, sleep pressure builds very slowly and doesn't have that rapid kind of push to make them fall asleep. So the combination of that slower, more gradual rise in sleep pressure and the delay in the melatonin release makes it almost impossible for many teens to fall asleep before 11 o'clock at night. Um, And the problem is the majority of schools in the United States start too early for a teen to go to sleep at 11 and get eight as a minimum or nine hours of sleep to then wake up feeling fully refreshed and ready to go to school. Right. And this relates to your TED Talk. Um, And so tell everyone, um, give them the primer about what did you educate us all about on that talk? So the TED Talk was really focused on the ways that school systems can promote better health in our teens would be to follow the recommendations of the Centers for Disease Control and the American Academy of Pediatrics in terms of what time of day school starts. And the AAP and CDC have both stated that schools, middle schools and high schools should start no earlier than 8.30 a.m. And this is with the awareness that if we go with an average sleep onset time of 11 p.m. for a teenager and allow them to sleep until 7 or 7.30, depending on how long that bus ride is or how far away school is, then they're getting adequate sleep opportunity and sleeping at a time that is a healthier circadian time for a teenager. And in schools that have moved toward this, they have seen such incredible outcomes in terms of the impact on students. So not only do we see better grades and better attendance and fewer tardies, we also see lower rates of depression, lower rates of substance abuse, and um, even lower motor vehicle accidents. So there was one district that saw a 70%, that's 70, 70% reduction in motor vehicle accidents among teen drivers when they moved to a later school start time. That's incredible. I mean, all of those, um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of uh, Challenge Success out of Stanford has been touting for a decade now their research that shows the number one factor of um, child adjustment, teen adjustment, is school engagement. And what I think you're saying is an equal um, powerful force is sleep. You put get those things together, um, our kids got them made. 
Yes. And I think even if you're thinking about it from the perspective of school engagement, there's a recent study out of the Cherry Creek School District in Colorado uh, where they have found that since they delayed their high school start times, the teachers are reporting that the students are more engaged in the classroom and the Mm -hmm. parents are reporting that the students are actually doing their homework So they're engaged in the classroom, they're engaged in their work outside of the classroom, and we in many, many, many districts, and this has been studied for over 20 years, have shown no reduction in extracurricular activities. So that had been a concern uh, originally when people started moving towards these later start times was, well, if they get out of school later, how are they going to be able to participate in band and sports and drama? Um, And what they've seen is that the extracurricular participation rate really stays the same. It's almost as if they have, it's not like they have more time in the day, but really it's the same time amount of hours in the day, and they're just actually getting to get their enough sleep. Yes. And when they are getting enough sleep, their brains and bodies function more efficiently. So when they sit down to do their homework, their brain is more engaged and they can process information better, get that homework completed typically more quickly because they aren't so sleep deprived and their brain isn't having to function so um, much on overload just to stay awake that it can actually process the information. And in terms of physical performance, we've also seen that there are fewer athletic injuries in students in later starting schools. And again, if they're able to pay better attention, their bodies are functioning more efficiently, they're going to have better reaction time and be more aware of where their body is in space and in relation to other people. So we really do see even positive outcomes in terms of injury. And we've seen several athletic directors from large schools say that their athletic practices can actually be shortened because the students are paying better attention and practicing more efficiently as well. So it really is having an impact on both cognitive and physical performance. Uh, that's amazing. And um, you, when you're talking about athletes, I'm thinking uh, Tom Brady um, of the Patriots uh, talks all the time about sleep is actually the cornerstone of his training program. And here he is in his yes. early 40s do, doing some amazing things. Right. Okay, so how do parents are out there, they're listening, yes, we might want to start advocating to have our schools, our districts start later, is there a process by which people have found success in doing so? There is a variety of, there are a variety of ways that school districts have gone about this. I think that many superintendents and school boards are hearing about and aware of the research findings. And many school districts find that it's logistics that are the challenge. So things like bus schedules and teacher schedules and how it relates to traffic patterns and, you know, things that in some cases I have a colleague who likes to say those are grown-up problems. (laughs) So, you know, maybe the grown-up should figure these out and not be burdening the children with the outcomes of those grown-up problems. Uh, But there is something called the Blueprint for Success that people are welcome to Google. Startschoollater.net is an excellent website that has wonderful resources 
and guidance for parents who want to advocate for healthier school start times to see some benefit for their students. Um, but I think it, it, there's always good reason to start talking to your school board members. They're elected officials. They represent us as constituents and to let them know your constituents are concerned about this. And we want to see um, the school focusing on health for our students, mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. not just test scores and grades, which do improve, but it's also physical and mental health and we want to see our elected officials following these guidelines from the CDC and the AAP. And they seem crystal clear as you describe them. I mean, the research that's coming out is, um, is, is very persuasive. Absolutely. And it's unequivocal. You, you will Mm -hmm. not find a study that shows no benefit to changing school start times to a healthy time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, There has not been a study conducted that has looked at changing a middle or high school from an early start time to a healthier recommended start time that has not seen some positive benefit to students. Every single study that's been done has shown some improvement. Some schools, it's more in the area of academic performance. Some, it's more in the areas of mental health. But every single study has shown benefit to students. Every single study has shown benefits to students in some aspect of functioning and reducing negative things like depression, substance abuse, traffic accidents with later start times. Very cool. Absolutely. And when you think about the impact on on motor vehicle accidents, now you're thinking of a public health intervention that doesn't only impact students but it's also impacting the other people driving on the road. Exactly. And as I'm listening to you, um, I'm thinking about uh, two of my three teenagers who um, are lacking sleep pressure, a new term that we've learned about today. And so, <laughs> and I know you have some teens at home as well. So how, what do you recommend to us parents about how to talk, educate our youth in the home and and how to help create a more healthy sleep pattern? I think one of the things I like to do, well, first of all, my teens have been hearing about sleep since they were born and they're probably really super (laughs) sick of it. But um, one of the things I like to do is really point out to them right now when they're on summer break, look at how much sleep you're getting at night. You don't have anywhere to be in the morning. This is what time you went to bed. This is what time you're waking up on your own. This is how much sleep you need. If you didn't need the sleep, your body would stop sleeping. And that's true for all of us. Once your body is finished sleeping, it's finished. So if you're sleeping 10 hours a night routinely during the summer, that is how much your sleep requirement is. And now that school is starting back, how are we going to adjust this? to get you to a point where you're getting as much sleep as possible. So my children, for example, one of them needs a little bit more sleep than the other, but they may sleep nine hours a night, sometimes 10 hours a night during the summer. They have to wake up at 5.50 to go to school. So there is absolutely no way I'm going to get these 14 and 15-year-old boys in bed to get 10 hours of sleep to wake up at 5.50 a.m. That's just not physiologically Mm -hmm. possible for them to fall asleep that early. 
So what we do is we figure out where can you physiologically fall asleep so that you're getting as much sleep as possible, knowing how early you have to get up. And then on the weekends, I, in my house, I allow a little bit of extra sleep because I don't think it's reasonable to ask them to continue to get up at 6 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but I don't allow them to sleep more than a couple of extra hours because then we're moving them into something we call social jet lag, which happens very frequently in teenagers, that they get way too little sleep during the week. And then they try to really make up for it on the weekends. So they fall asleep at one or two in the morning and sleep until noon. And that's like crossing multiple time zones every weekend. And then Hmm. Sunday night, it's impossible for them to fall asleep. So I really try to make sure that mine are not sleeping super late on the weekends so that we don't have that constant Sunday night social jet lag during the school year. The other piece, I think, is technology-free bedrooms. So we um, take phones down to the kitchen at night. Everyone plugs their phone in in the kitchen. Um, No devices are on. There's, you know, nothing that is going to be disrupting sleep in that way, too, with Snapchats coming all night long and things like that. I'm really glad you said that. It's almost becoming so... um, It it seems so obvious, but we need to say it, is that if technology is in the room and on and beeping and lights going on, blue lights, it completely disrupts sleep. Absolutely. Okay, so this, this approach is seems to me education and problem solving, collaboration, right? Sort of including yeah. them in their life um, to problem solve because we're raising them to be away and have to figure this stuff out on their own. Not that long. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's another challenge is we have this biological change that happens simultaneous with trying to allow teenagers to have more independence and allow them to make more decisions. And if we go too far with that, then they are up on their phones all night. So then you have the combination of this biological change the blue light that's making that worse and the social drivers of being on the phone and being on social media, watching YouTube Mm -hmm. and things that just cause that to be worse. So it really is the important piece is for the parents and families to do our part to set appropriate limits and model healthy sleep and to partner with schools to provide the appropriate sleep opportunity for the teens as well. Yes. Okay, Dr. Valerie, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as a parent or an individual and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Well, it's an interesting question given where we just ended our conversation in terms of um, gradually allowing more independence because I think... um, I, as a psychologist, have always really enjoyed working with teens and young adults. That's been a a developmental stage that I've always enjoyed and always have felt like I'm an advocate for my teen and young adult patients with their parents in terms of promoting Mm -hmm. independence, appropriate levels, and have found as a parent on that end that I don't like promoting independence all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I sort of like having more control over things. Um, And I think I had an interesting experience where one of my teenagers said to me, 
don't speak for me. You, you're trying to answer something for me, and I can speak for myself and make my own decisions. And it really hit me in that moment that he was right. And obviously, I'm still the parent, and my husband and I still need to make decisions, particularly you know, really important decisions. But it's time, and I've been preaching this all these years as a psychologist to my patients and their parents, um, but I need to, to follow that as well and find the right balance, which is really difficult, of promoting independence while supporting them. Um, and now when I'm talking with parents, I know I have the lived experience, too, that it is really a challenge to find that balance. But I think it's just so important um, so that they are healthy adults and they can make good decisions um, mm-hmm. and have had that mm-hmm. practice with appropriate levels of support. Thank you for sharing that, because I think it's so important for all of us to hear that even when one is an expert on something, it still takes a lot of courage and practice and uh, intention to implement these same things in our house with our own with our own children. I mean, it's it's when when it comes to parenting, we're all just parents trying to find our way. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. Dr. Valerie, this has been so informative. There are so many important pieces of information here, and I know you have um, many publications and much more work that people can um, locate. So please tell them where to find this valuable information. So I have a website that's part of St. Jude. It's stjude.org slash crabtree. And I also am on Twitter, uh, and my Twitter handle is at Dr. Dr. V. Crabtree. Check out Dr. V. Stands for Valerie Crabtree. Dr. Valerie, thanks so much for enlightening us uh, with this information. It's so critical, and it's so tangible, so tangible. And I think we all need to really think about how we can implement more sleep in in collaboration with our kids and teens and see how we can impact the community by advocating and educating um, our districts and our school board members. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. This concludes the show. Continue to be the person you want your child to become focus on what's important to you to model for them check us out at www.parentfootprint.com you'll find our parent footprint awareness training there to help you parent with intention and purpose and finally consider this guiding question what footprint do you want to leave